I want to thank you for uh, the last eight months and the privilege of serving you. It's been a wonderful learning experience for me, and I've learned a lot from you. I hope that you have learned some from me. I think we've been uh, co-journeying together in this process of learning and preparing for our new pastor, John Allen. My message today is going to be focused on preparing ourselves for the next pastor, for John Allen. And as I indicated in the reception, I have without a doubt, I know without a doubt, that God has sent John here with the skills commensurate for the challenges here. He has a degree in coaching. He uh, also has a degree in business. And he is trained in professional fundraising. So I think he has the skills that are going to be necessary for him to be successful here. And I pray that you will have a mutually uh, successful ministry. Uh, he has lots of skills that I don't have, and I'm really excited for you. I think you've got an exciting future. Well, let's join together in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A few years ago, Kathy and I were driving in the Houston area we came across a bumper sticker that read, I'll keep my money, you keep the change. I'll keep my money, you keep the change. Now that bumper sticker was created in response to a campaign slogan that happened to be popular at the time. How many of you remember Barack Obama's campaign slogan when he ran for re-election in 2012? You remember his five-word um, campaign slogan? You remember change you can believe in? Change you can believe in? Well, that bumper sticker, I'll keep my money, you keep the change, well expresses the sentiment of a lot of people today when it comes to change. I certainly don't like change. Most of us don't like change. You know, periodically, my wife Kathy feels compelled to rearrange the furniture in our living room. And it drives me bananas. And when she does it, I usually ask her, Honey, why do we have to move the furniture around? Why can't we keep it in one spot? Now, as uncomfortable as change may be, it's a fact of life. To live is to change. Change is endemic in every living system. You know, people and organizations which refuse to change and adapt to a rapidly changing world soon become extinct. Now, I'm not suggesting that all change is good. Some change can be debilitating and destructive. But you know, that's not true of all change. Sometimes change can be a good thing. And this is particularly true when it comes to a change of leadership. Now, in our scripture reading this morning that Cindy shared with us, we find that the Israelites were experiencing a profound change of leadership. Moses had been their leader for 40 years plus. Think about that. He'd been their leader for 40 years plus. And now, just as the Israelites are about to enter into the land that God promised them, Moses was dying. Moses was dying. You see, Moses was allowed to see the promised land, but he wasn't allowed to enter into it. Now, the transition for the Israelites couldn't have been more dramatic. 
it was a transition from Moses to Joshua. Joshua had been commissioned to succeed Moses. Now that must have been quite a transition for the Israelites to make. But you know, it was no more traumatic than the transition that a lot of churches have to make after a long pastorate. Now I'm sure that there were some Israelites who thought they were doomed because they no longer had Moses to lead them. But you know, God cannot and will not be limited to using one leader. If you don't think so, just read the book of Joshua. In some ways, Joshua was an even greater leader than Moses because Joshua led the Israelites into many victorious battles despite their differences. God was able to work through Moses or through Joshua as powerfully as he'd worked through Moses. He led, God led the Israelites to many victorious battles even when they were hopelessly outnumbered. Think about that. You know, the scriptures clearly and consistently teach that God can use anyone to accomplish God's purposes. They simply have to be open and willing to be used by God. And you know, the same is true for any change of leadership, including a change of pastors. Well, this morning, I want to share with you three practices that will help smooth the transition between pastors and allow your new pastor, John Allen, to be a strong and effective leader here. Let me repeat that. I want to share with you three processes that will smooth the transition between pastors and allow your new pastor, John Allen, to be a strong and effective leader here. And as usual, if you'd like to follow along, there's a sermon outline printed in your bulletin for your convenience, or you can follow along with a PowerPoint presentation. So, let's begin then with the first practice that can help smooth the transition between pastors. First of all, let the pastor be the pastor. First of all, Let the pastor be the pastor. Notice in verse 9 we read, So the Israelites listened to Joshua and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. You see, the Israelites didn't demand that Joshua be exactly like Moses. Joshua had a different leadership style than Moses, but God was able to work just as effectively through Joshua despite the differences. You know... I'm often amused at how many churches expect their new pastor to function exactly like the old pastor. Several years ago, I served a church where I followed a very popular pastor who had served there for four years, Paul Gould. And you know, every time I tried to do something new there, I was told, you can't do that. Why, Pastor Paul did it this way. You can't do that. Pastor Paul did it this way. I was constantly being told that everything had to be done like the previous pastor. And you know, it really set back the ministry of that church for several years until I could finally earn the trust of the people. Let me ask you, how many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? Raise your hands. You all know it. Most of us learned it in Sunday school or vacation Bible school. But you know, when David first approached Saul and told him that he was going to fight Goliath in combat, 
Saul urged young David to put on his battle armor. He even dressed up David in a suit of armor with a bronze helmet. But David found the armor wouldn't fit. It wouldn't fit. He said to Saul, I can't wear these because I'm not used to them. I can't wear these because I'm not used to them. So David took off the armor and picked out five smooth stones from a stream and brought his sling. And the rest, as they say, is history. Now, the point is, David had to fight Goliath his own way. He couldn't do it Saul's way. And the same is true for your new pastor, John Allen. You need to let the pastor be the pastor. Don't expect him to be Doug Miller or Paul Morrell or something he's not. He's got to fight the spiritual battles his own way with his own unique skills and talents. Don't force him to be something he's not. Joshua couldn't be Moses. David couldn't be Saul. And Elisha couldn't be Elijah. You see, God uses each of us in unique ways because our skills are unique. We're not all the same. We have different strengths. Celebrate John's skills and allow him to use them for the glory of Christ. And Christ will use him powerfully. And you'll share an effective ministry here together. You need to let John be John. You need to let him be the pastor here. And don't look to someone else. That brings us to the second practice. Second, assist your pastor in ministry. Assist your pastor in ministry. Now, while John does possess some unique skills for ministry, don't expect him to do everything. He's only human and he's going to need your help. He can't do it alone. You might recall the time that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, once gave Moses a timely piece of advice. Jethro had noticed how Moses was acting as judge for all the Israelites who came to him with disputes. And he had noticed that, and Jethro told Moses, what you're doing isn't good. You're going to wear yourself and the people out. The work's too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. So Jethro told Moses to find God-fearing leaders who were capable and honest and have them hear the most difficult disputes or the, the easiest disputes. Then he told Moses to hear only the most difficult cases. He told Moses to hear only the most difficult cases. And then he said this, that will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. And you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. In the same way, John can't carry out the ministries of this church alone. He's going to need your help. And by the way, if you have suggestions for his ministry, be prepared to help him carry those suggestions out or else keep your suggestions to yourself. To do otherwise will be setting him up for failure. You see, the pastor is like the coach of a team. No team in their right mind ever expects the coach to get out on the court and play. John can train and equip you, but you have to get out on the court. John has some great 
leadership skills and some great ideas. But he can't effectively lead if you won't listen to him and carry out the ministry. You see, you're the players. You live in the real world. And you're the ones who have to get out on the court and play. He can't do it for you. But he can coach you if you'll follow his direction. One of my all-time favorite movies is a movie that was released in 1984 starring Barbara Hershey and Gene Hackman called Hoosiers. Hoosiers. How many of you have ever seen the movie Hoosiers? It's my favorite movie. And you know, it's based on a true story. It really is. In the movie, Gene Hackman portrays coach Norman Dale, who had worked as a college basketball coach, coaching a college team up in Ithaca, New York, until one day he lost his temper and struck one of his players and was fired. The next two years, he served in the Merchant Marine. But when he got out, he had no job and no prospects for a job. However, one day, an old friend of his, who happened to be a principal at a high school in Hickory, Indiana, called him up and asked if Coach Dale would consider coaching their high school basketball team there in Little Hickory, which was in the middle of nowhere. Well, surprisingly, Coach Dale jumped at the chance. He figured it might be his last opportunity at coaching, so he took the job. But when Coach Dale arrives in Hickory, he soon discovers that the townspeople there regard him with suspicion and distrust. They don't trust his big city ways, and they don't trust his coaching methods. For example... Some of the people offer him advice on how to coach the team. They explain to him that man-on-man defense won't work in this town. All we've ever used is zone defense, and that's all that's ever going to work here. Even his own team are not fully confident in him. They don't have a lot of trust in him. For example, Coach Dale tells them over and over again, I want you to pass the ball four times before you shoot. Pass the ball four times before you shoot a basket. But his players don't have any confidence in him or his instructions. And in the very first opening game, in the first half of the game, while they do pass the ball, they only do it half-heartedly. Their heart's not in it. And as you might guess, they begin to fall behind in the score. And so they fall behind in the score, and they're losing by 10 points. And at halftime, in the locker room, Coach Dale confronts his team, and he says to them, Guys, I want you to remember what we worked on in practice. I want to see it on the court. Now, how many times are you going to pass the ball? And the team goes, four times. How many? Four times. Four times. But then when they get out on the court and play for the second half, they ignore him completely. One of their star players, a young man by the name of Ray, refuses to listen to the coach at all. Coach Dale calls at him from the sideline. Set it up, set it up. Ray, pass the ball. Ray, pass the ball. But he ignores him completely. Ray simply dribbles the ball down the court and shoots. Dribbles the ball down the court and shoots, but he never passes the ball, and he never listens to the coach. And you know what? Coach takes him out of the game, and they lose the game. Well, during halftime, or after after the game's over, Coach Dale confronts his team in the locker room again. 
Only this time, he says to them, I'm only going to say this once. You have the whole weekend. I want you to think about whether or not you want to be on this basketball team or not under the following condition. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law, absolutely and without question. And then Coach Dale looks at Ray, and he gets up, and he walks out. Let's take a look at these scenes from the movie Hoosiers. Let's go ahead and roll that clip.
are you going? In the game. Sit down. What do you mean? We gotta have five out there. Sit down. Sit. Coach, need one more. My team's on the floor. What are you trying to do? Those of you on the floor at the end, I'm proud of you. Glad you got out. I'm only going to say this one time. All of you have the weekend. Think about whether or not you want to be on this team or not. Under the following condition. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Now, fortunately, for the Hickory Huskers, they start listening to their coach, and they start following his instructions. And because of another star player that returns to the team, they start winning games. They win so many games that they make it into the playoffs. And they win their divisional title. They win their sectional title. They win their regional title. They even manage to get into play the Indiana State High School Basketball Championship game. They square off against a high school more than 20 times larger than they are called South Bend. I know, I did the research. As I said, it's based on a true story. It was a true David versus Goliath contest. It looked like Hickory had no chance playing against a much, much larger high school. But you know, miracle of miracles... In the closing seconds of the game, Little Hickory makes the winning basket and defeats South Bend to win the 1953 Indiana State High School Basketball Championship. But you know, they would never have been successful had they continued to refuse to listen to their coach. 
And what's true for a basketball team is true for any athletic team. Whether you're talking about baseball, football, hockey, soccer, whatever. Any team that refuses to follow the leadership and instructions of its coach will not be a success. They will not be successful. And you know, what's true for an athletic team is just as true for a church. Any church that refuses to follow the directions and instructions of its pastor will not have a successful ministry. And you can just bank on that. I believe that God is sending you a very capable and talented ministry in John Allen, a very talented minister. But you know, he can't do it himself. And I don't care how smart you may be. I don't care how talented your lay leadership may be here or how talented your staff may be. I don't care how much money some of you may have or how wonderful your worship services may be or how wonderful your music may be. If you don't follow the direction and leadership of your pastor, you will not have a successful ministry. And you can bank on that. Don't expect John to be something he's not. He's not Doug Miller. He's not Paul Morell. He's not something else. You've got to let him be the pastor here. And you've got to follow his leadership. But you know, if you'll let the pastor be the pastor, if you'll assist him in his ministry, you will share a fruitful and productive ministry here together. This church stands at a crossroads. Those of you who have been here a long time know what I'm talking about. For the last few decades, we've been in decline in terms of our membership. We have some significant challenges. But we have an opportunity here with this new pastor to have a new beginning, to turn things around, to move forward to the future in obedience to Christ and what Christ is calling us to do. You have that opportunity with this new pastor. My question for you is, will you work with him? Will you allow him to be the pastor here? Will you work together to have a successful and productive ministry? I can't answer that question for you. Only you and your leadership can. I appreciate that. That's what we need to hear. You've got to work together. If you work together, there's nothing Christ can accomplish through your ministry here. And so I encourage you, let the pastor be the pastor and assist him in his ministry. And that brings us to the third and final practice. Last but by no means least, pray for your pastor. Last but by no means least, pray for your pastor. John's going to need all the prayers he can get. I know. I've been there. Being a pastor is no easy task, is it, Keith? It's not an easy task. And if you think so, you try it. You try it. No one can pastor a church in their own strength. If they do, they're doomed to fail. Only the strength of Christ can empower and equip the pastor to overcome whatever challenges may come his or her way. Now, you know, the Apostle Paul knew this. That's why he once wrote to the Thessalonian Christians, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray each day for John that God will strengthen him for the many challenges here and that Christ will grant him the spiritual wisdom to provide the leadership that first United Methodist Church of Carrollton needs. Well, in conclusion, if you want to see a smooth change in leadership, let your pastor be the pastor, 
Help him in his ministry and pray for him constantly. Whoever has the ears to hear, let that one hear what the Spirit says to the church. Amen.